0: Welcome to Dear 20-something. I'm Erica, the host of this podcast, and I'm so excited to have you here. A bit about me, I'm a 20-something social entrepreneur and investor who is navigating the ups and downs of being in my 20s. The Dear 20-something podcast started because we wanted to create a space for ambitious and curious 20-somethings to connect with the successful changemakers they most look up to. While the 20s can be a time full of questions and doubts, we're here to humanize the whole thing. You'll hear from successful trailblazers who will share the highs and lows of their 20s and you'll also get words of wisdom from some experts who will speak on a certain topic relevant for 20-somethings and then sometimes it'll just be me on the mic hosting an episode where I share a recent reflection or story from my own life as I too am navigating this wild decade. We're so happy to have you here. Let's get started. So today on the show, I am so excited to be chatting with Kim Johnson. Kim is the Head of Community at Geneva, a New York City-based messaging app for groups, clubs, and communities of all shapes and sizes. Her work at Geneva focuses on helping brands, creators, and community leaders of all kinds build their communities from the ground up. Before joining the team at Geneva, she built community at Glossier from the ground up for five years. I can't wait to chat with her and share her story with you now on Dear 20-something. Please welcome Kim Johnson. Hi, Kim. Hi. Thanks for that nice intro. Thanks for being
1: here. I'm so excited to chat and, and talk all things community. Me too. Me too. I'm really excited. Thanks for having me. I can't wait to chat and hear all of your thoughts and get into it. Awesome. Well, this is actually a very special episode
0: because, and I don't know if this was explained to you, but we are launching season two of the show. You're going to be one of the earliest episodes in season two, and we're doing a lot of episodes focused on explained, like explainer topics. So we've gotten different DMs from people being like, I want thoughts on personal finance. I want thoughts on movement and working out and all the things. And so this episode is focused on, it's one of our earliest explained episodes on community and community building. So we'll chat about your background But like, we're building this formula from the ground up, this explained episode. We're going to learn a lot from this.
1: Yes, I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. I hope that I can explain well.
0: I love it. Well, before we dive into all things community, we do like to start every show with a fun question. You can make this as light or as serious as you want. Just do what you will with it. But what is something new that you learned in this past week? It could be like a fun stat. It could be maybe a movie or show you like. It could be maybe a person that taught you something,
1: but something new from the past week. Oh, well, you know what I just learned about actually from a friend? I learned about a movie that I really want to see. I feel like everyone is talking about it right now, but I didn't know about it. It's called Everything Everywhere All at Once.
0: I knew you were going to say that. Yeah.
1: And I'm like very curious about it. I was just talking to my friend about it earlier today, but I feel like it's like the hot topic. So I'm quite interested in that. I learned how to transfer my 401k actually. So that's a little, little snaps for me. I was Definitely slacking, transferring my 401k from my old job to my new one. So I, you know, put my big girl pants on and made it happen. So that's a fun, boring one.
0: No, That's a good one. It's all the things we need to be doing. We need to be switching our 401ks. We need to know where they are. If I'm right, how long, didn't you leave Glossier? Like it's been maybe a little bit more than a year. Damn,
1: calling me out. It was September 2020.
0: It was. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so proud. I don't want this to negate the excitement and enthusiasm I have for you. And you know what? I think this also just humanizes like sometimes it takes people a while. Like it's okay. You can still do it. It's just there waiting for you to transfer it over.
1: You know? And I, it was like, you know, I'm saving. I'm saving. But my 401k was really just sitting there. She was just sitting there quite, I think, quite sad. So we kind of got that together. Perfect.
0: Was there like a resource in particular that was like super, super helpful for you? Or was it just kind of like doing a lot of article digging and figuring it out yourself?
1: it was a lot of article digging. It was like, and I think that's why I avoided it. Cause it's just so not fun by any means. Not fun. But you know, we got it together and there right. we go. And now was, we're in a good spot. It, it was one of those things that you like, you know, you avoid something for so long and you make it a bigger deal than it needs to be. And then you do it and you're like, Oh, this took me approximately seven minutes. Okay. Awesome.
0: I think that's how a lot of things are that get procrastinated. Like I have a list of sort of like bigger things I need to do. And like, if I probably sat down and just did them all, it'd be maybe a couple hours, but they're just sort of the list that gets dragged. Like I've like a notes every Saturday.
1: It just like drag it to the next Saturday. Same, 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 same. They're the things that you're like, Oh no, I'm just going to bump that tomorrow. Oh Nope. I'm just going to, yeah. It's that one email that you always have to send, you know, that was how yeah, I got good for you. My 401k. Thank you so but much. But you did it. I did so it. Have to celebrate. And it's one and done. So I'm done. <laughs> Amazing. And then the movie,
0: everything everywhere all at once. So here's the thing. I love movies. I'm like a freak about movies, but I am very, very picky. Like I can't do kind of scary, a little sci-fi, whatever just doesn't do it for me. I love rom-coms, like a good Oscar nominated action. I can do some of that, but like the sort of kind of scary sci-fi you don't really know what you're getting into not for me as much so I've kind of been like I would see it if it were my type of movie I would watch but I don't know it seems a little it seems amazing for some people who like that but just not something I would enjoy and I know myself enough to know I'm not gonna enjoy it
1: yeah see I'm the opposite because I'm not a movie person I like I really you know I have friends who are really big movie people And they see everything and I'll like go to dinner with them. And they're like, oh, I saw this at the Angelica and then this. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And this is a really sad statement. But I honestly think that it's because I don't... Going to the movies is an experience that I enjoy. That's very different than like watching a movie at home. Watching a movie at home is just something that I don't do because I don't really have the attention span for it, to be totally honest. But going to the movies isn't an activity that I would do. But when I do it, it's kind of like a treat. So I feel like for this one, I think I'm going to do it this weekend because it's going to be really rainy. And like, what do you do on a rainy weekend other than go to the movies in the middle of the day? So I'll report back. I'll report back. I'll tell you how it is. And then, you know, I'll let you know if it's like scary or... Yeah, yeah. I love
0: that. I really appreciate it. I think that's a great idea. It's also expensive enough now to like be a treat. Like you can't do it all the time. It's like an excursion. It's like, this will be my afternoon thing to get popcorn and go see a movie. It can easily be 20, 25. Oh,
1: dude. I know. know, If not more. It's crazy. I mean, honestly, I feel like that for me is like an excursion that I'm like so much better than me going to drinks with someone and (laughs) (laughs) spending $75. But at the movies, you can do that too now, which is wild. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's so funny. I know you really can Let's combine them in two It's really weird. It's really
0: weird. Where are you based right now that it, where it's gonna be rainy brooklyn in new york Brooklyn. Oh wonderful. You're on the east coast. I'm on the west coast. Yeah Oh, where are you? We never even talked about that. I'm la I know we didn't talk about that I'm based in los angeles, so i'm sorry. I think it will be sunny this weekend. Good luck with the rain <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> well, you're going to see the great movie. You're going to let me know how it is. I'm going to let you know how it is.
1: I'll give you all the deeds.
0: Yeah. It's going to be great. Honestly, I've heard nothing but amazing things. I just, I don't know that I want to see it, but yeah, well, that was cool. Thanks for the new things from the week. 401k, big props and an exciting movie on deck. Two very interesting and exciting things happening. Yeah. Different, you know, keep it fresh. It's a nice combo too of like fun and professional the movie is fun,
1: the 401k is professional. That's kind of like how I like to think of myself, you know, a little bit of fun,
0: a little bit of fresh. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing. Before we dive into community, I do just want to touch on your background. I think, you know, obviously we pick experts to come onto the show to talk about community that have done a lot of community building. So I think it's important to chat through that a little bit. So maybe we start with college, what you studied in college and some of your experiences there, and if you were doing any community building during that time. So talk me through a little bit of that that period of your life.
1: Yeah. So, well, I'm originally from East Coast, DC area. I came to New York for college in 2011. I went to Barnard and I studied English. More out of a really didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was like, I love reading. So this I think will work for me. And I loved my experience there. I didn't honestly do a lot of community building in, in college. When I started doing community, you know, I was thrown in and I like really learned on the job, if you will. But I, I started interning while I was at Barnard at Into the Gloss, which is the editorial, beauty editorial site blog. Started in like 2009 by Emily Weiss. Who ended up founding Glossier. So I started interning there. When it was like three people, very early days, I loved the site. And it's so funny because, you know, you kind of only realize things until after the fact, how full circle things can be. But when I started interning it into the gloss, I loved it because I loved the comment section. Back in that time, like 2010, 2012 ish era, blogs, you know, were everything. And the comment section of blogs, was where the party was. And I have this very strong belief that Discuss, which is D-I-S-Q-U-S, it's like the platform that every blog like plugged in for their comment section at the time. I believe that Discuss was like the first community platform of the kinds that we think of today because that was where the party was on like Man Repeller and Into the Gloss and all of these, all of these blogs. So I joined the team as an editorial intern, kind of really not knowing what I, I wanted and loved the team, loved the experience, realized that I wasn't an editor. I didn't want to be a writer and kind of bopped around Glossier launched while I was a senior in college. So getting to kind of see that from like the We're making products to the naming to the like, you know, launch and everything was very, very fun. And then when I graduated, I joined the team full time actually bopped around a few different things before I found community started doing it in 2015 a couple months after the brand launched and I was there doing that building our rep program which was our ambassador program you know our community slack in 2015 our events all of those things through 2020.
0: Wow. It's pretty wild. I I will say, and I know we'll get into more of the details, but when I think of really strong, loyal communities and like brand followings, Glossy is really one of like the first that comes to mind. Like people absolutely love it. They don't shut up about it. It does have a bit of like a cult following, which I, I mean in the best of ways. I think the best brands do kind of have that cult following. So how close were you to building that like I don't know that I mean I know Emily built a lot of the brand identity and stuff like that, but like the community around it. Can you tell me a little bit more about like those early days and how you guys thought about like was it building more of a cult following? How do you build loyalty? Like what were kind of the thoughts behind it in those very early days?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that there were a couple of things that really defined how we built the community in the early days. One is like you don't and I know, you know, there's this idea now that every brand has to have a community in order to be a meaningful brand. I actually don't believe that. I think, I actually don't think every brand needs to have a community, but we can talk about that later. But I think community doesn't come out of thin air, right? And I think what was really kind of fortunate for Glossier was that it came out of what was already a community and already had such an engaged community, which was into the gloss, right? And, And that is kind of the full circle piece that I mentioned earlier, because when I joined ITG, it was because like I was a commenter. I loved the comment section. People literally would be like, know each other in the comment section just because they were like really consistent. Would Go and read the articles every day and talk to each other and share advice and tips there. And so it became full circle that like I joined the team because that was like what I loved, but I had no idea that community was a job when I joined. So I was like an editorial intern. But I think in terms of like how it kind of started from the early days, one is the community was, there and present from the early days of the brand. And the brand was built with that community in mind, which I think is really, really different from starting a brand where you're trying to find your people. It was like a brand that was built for the people who were there commenting every day that they wanted something easier and they wanted something simpler and more aligned with them and their personal identities. And so I think that was piece one. And then piece two, someone said to me, the other day, they were like, you know, I feel like with community as a founder, if you don't give a shit on day one, you can't pretend to give a shit on day a thousand. And I completely agree with that. And from day one, it was like, we were really, my first few months doing community at Glossier, I was like, emailing our top customers like, Hey, can I call you and talk to you about what we didn't have a playbook by any means. And so it was like, building the car as you drive it kind of thing. You know, I remember when I was doing our first event that we had ever hosted. And instead of doing it for influencers or creators, I was doing it for normal people. And they were like, wait, you want me to come to the event? Why? And I'm like, you're like engaged with us. You like our brand. We want to talk. So I think that that, the ethos of the brand and the fact that it came from something that already had such a strong community, plus the fact that I really believe that it being 2015 and they're not really being a playbook for brands like ours to build community in a real way allowed me and allowed us to be really like, we just tried stuff. We were really just, I created the community Slack in 2015 because I didn't want to make a Facebook group. I was like, well, that's kind of played. And no one was using Slack for community at the time, but it seemed like a good tool for our team. So we were like, let's just use it for the community. Now it's a thing that people do, right? And it's why I joined the team at Geneva. And so I think that those things were really kind of the core core pieces. But it was really, really fun. I mean, being able to see the brand grow from three people when I joined to like, I guess, around 300 or so when I left was a really incredible like first job experience.
0: Thanks for walking through all that. That's so interesting. And I think your point is so well made that you guys already had that community that you were building for. And so many people now, they like build something and they're like, okay, now I go find my community. And that can sometimes work, but I think it was really innovative that, it was almost like Emily Weiss had this like her own blog, her own following. And, you know, she was able to get real time feedback from people when she started day one, because there was already all these people. And so I think we're seeing that now too a little bit with like creators that are then launching their businesses or like they're launching their brands because they already have that following. And they have those people that are like, I mean, I see all the time people like on Instagram stories will be like, should I do a podcast on X or Y? Or like, would you like to see my next product be a blush or a mascara? And like, there's this like idea that you can like engage. And I do feel like Into the Gloss and Emily Y specifically were like the earliest adopters of that. And now it is more of a trend.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And I think that when you are in the kind of early days of a brand like that, like I tell people all the time, like your people in the early days are everything the relationships that we built with the people who were like our first community members were not like fly by night. I still talk to a lot of the people. We knew them. They would come in the office all the time. It was a truly, truly community. And also I think because the, the Into the Gloss had this kind of, it was editorial. The brand had an underlying ethos as well of like conversation about beauty. And it wasn't just about the brand itself or about the products. It was like, in the Slack, people were talking about all kinds of products. I remember people would have to DM me and be like, Hey Kim, I have to leave for a month. I have to take a break from the group because all of the recommendations I'm like blowing my budget. Like I would literally get DMs like that from girls all the time. Or, you know, and I think beauty is a conduit for conversation and connection anyways. And so people would be like, you know, they'd get comfortable with each other talking about products and, you know, stage of life and, issues that they're having and then they'd go into career and becoming a mom and all of these things going to each other's weddings the relationships were super super real and it was like a really amazing time to be to be building something like that
0: building community is very very hard and I know the way when you're talking about it now you did it well and not that you're making it sound easy but like in hindsight you guys did a great job of it but it's really hard and like I've been part of different communities even some startups like Getting people to engage, getting people to engage not only with the company, but with each other, getting people to be vulnerable, getting people to fork over money past their budget because they're so passionate about something. It's very hard to do. And I think it takes someone having been in communities or having built communities to know what were some of those like, early things that you guys did that you feel like fostered that? Was it something as simple as like posting questions? Was it just letting it kind of go and be organic? What were those things that you guys did that helped accelerate that community? Because I think it is very hard to get more than just the top 0.005% to actually care and engage, you know, when they have so many communities to choose from?
1: Yeah. I mean, I will say it's very different now than it was then because like people weren't really in 2015, there weren't a lot of communities online. It was like you had social media, but communities, online communities weren't as much of a thing, at least for this kind of world of people. And so it is different. But I do think that there are a couple of things that I think of now as like, oh, those are kind of defining elements of how we built community and that I see other brands or creators or community builders do now. And they build really strong communities as well. And I think, one, obviously, I work at Geneva, obviously, we're an app for community, but like, I fundamentally believe that the offline is essential to having a strong and healthy online community. And even for Glossier, like I started our community Slack in 2015 because I had our first event. Everyone came, it was wonderful. I was like supposed to be traveling the next morning and no one would leave the penthouse. And I was like, you guys got to go, but everyone was having such a good time. And you know, everyone came up to me at the end. we were like, how can I stay connected to everyone here? Someone told me that they thought they met their best friend at the event. And I was like, oh my God, I have to figure out how to keep people connected. And that's when I had the whole, I don't want to make a Facebook group, I guess I'll use Slack. And so even just that, that community started with just like 50 people who were I was trying to connect after an event, right? And so there was this underlying connection point between all of them that made them like, as soon as they came in, oh, I know you or, oh, I remember you or I had this question for you, right? And there's this kind of existing connection point. And then when we brought people on throughout following that, we'd bring people on in cohorts and have it be people who all had another connection point to each other, even if it wasn't necessarily IRL. So we had like the top into the Gloss customers come on as the next cohort. So they all kind of knew each other from the comment section of ITG. And so everyone kind of has this connection point to each other and you think of it as like this, I think of it as like a web where there's these little lines that kind of dot and cross, and you you as a community leader have to really know what those little lines and connectors are for your people in order to make a space that serves them and that makes them comfortable to take part. So I think that that's really important. Other thing I would say that we did and that I've seen others do, and I think it's a really defining piece, is show up as like a whole human. Sometimes I'll talk to community leaders or brand leaders who, and I fairly want to show up kind of as the brand or as the kind of like person leading the chart or leading the path. And what it does is it can create this dynamic where your members kind of say, okay, well, I'll leave that to them. When they speak, we respond, but that doesn't really facilitate connection amongst your people. And so the best communities that I've seen are ones where the person who's leading it is showing up just as normally and in just as much of a human way as they want their members to. And ultimately, when you're building a community, you lead with the behavior that you want to see. And so if you show up authentically, and you know, in a normal way, people will usually respond to that energy, kind of in a similar way. So yeah, I would say it's like, One, like the offline piece, I do think is important to the extent that it's possible. Sometimes, of course, it's not. And I still think that there are ways to get creative with that, facilitating little local meetups, empowering some of your members to host meetups locally, things like that is one. Two is like, you really have to understand the connection points between your members in order to facilitate that, right? Like you are still the connector of all of these people at the end of the day and owning that is is a lot. But when you really tap into it and you really spend the time to get to know your people, then you'll understand how to engage them in a way and meet them where they are. And then, yeah, showing up as like yourself, as a normal human with your humor and your thoughts and, and all of that stuff, I think is really makes a democratized, for lack of a better word, feeling space.
0: Absolutely. Offline communities, knowing the connection points, and sometimes that's cohort-based. I think that's perfect. And then obviously being all your authentic self. I think it's, it's also really important with teams too. Like as you're saying this, like obviously external community is your area of expertise. But as you're saying this, I'm thinking about like teams and startups and like, wow, actually to be the leader of a team you should show up as your most authentic self and you should act more like a member of a team versus the leader of the team. And that like this, these principles actually apply to a lot of other areas. It's like joining a soccer team. It's like the captain isn't like, I'm the captain, do what I say. They're just like a really wonderful, connected, humble, hopefully member of the team that like at certain moments help facilitate maybe a little bit more like intense stuff. But as I'm hearing you talk about these principles, I'm like, community is also so much more than just the like brands we love or creators we love. And they're like
1: group of kind of fans or participants. Totally. I mean, I, I say this all the time. And I think that that is that point is honestly, the biggest thing to me is like, you know, I'll, I'll talk to people who are like, I, I want to build a community. How do I do that? And I'm like, you can totally do that in your everyday life. Community is not a large following. It isn't like a Geneva home or a discord, right? It's like, there are a lot of ways that communities show up in our lives. And I think that that's kind of the beautiful thing about it. And it's true. It's it's so much more than just your, your favorite brand or your favorite creator or the activist movement that you want to take part in. And I think teams are such a good representation of community because people who, especially who are like team and people and culture leaders at at companies, they have to do all of that same stuff. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, it's it's so interesting to hear your thoughts on it. I also would love to like double back just on the IRL and digital thing, because that's something that I've been thinking a lot about recently, too. We obviously all see this Web3 explosion, metaverse explosion. Everyone knows. I'm sure you hear this endlessly. So i sorry for bringing it up again. But everything is digital. Everyone seems to think that the whole world is going to be online. And I really feel like IRL is crucial. I, especially post COVID, I think a lot of us have been, I'll speak for myself, isolated. I live on my own. I'm a 20 something. Like I want people. I want connection. I'm an extrovert. Like this is crazy. And I'm seeking community. I'm seeking connection. So maybe we can talk a little bit just about like, what are your high level thoughts on where we're going with IRL? versus digital versus combos? And how do you see that like evolving? Maybe it's based off of what you've seen with COVID. Maybe it's based off of your work at Geneva. But I'd love to just hear your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, obviously, Web3 is a whole kind of beast of its own when it comes to community. But even Web3 communities... I see this more with like a lot of the, not that much of a surprise. I see this more with a lot of the, whether it be women-led or people of color-led, like Web3 communities, I see more of the like, let's meet up in person. And that I see that more there. Maybe it's just the ones that I'm seeing. But I think the digital has opened up what community can be. I mean, I think about the example that comes to mind to me for that is, we have this incredible like 5,000 person queer book club on Geneva called Saflit, started by a girl named Mina based in New York. She's a book talker, like a person who tic- does TikToks yep. about books. Hashtag book
0: talk. <laughs> B-O-K-T-O-K.
1: Hashtag book talk. And she was like, I want to make a book club for like people who love queer literature. And it's grown into this global community of like 5,000 people. They read two books every month. Now that they're so big, they have the authors come and speak. Like it is an incredible space that she's built. And, you know, young people in there who are like, I'm not even out to my family, but I'm so happy that I have this space. Like it is so amazing to see the space that she has built. And that couldn't exist without the URL element of community. And so those things I think are just like pretty incredible. But even still like Saflit has picnics in New York and picnics in Toronto. And I think that the IRL piece of things, it brings it home, you know, and if you have the, the ability to do it, I think it, it can make community that much more intimate, that much more personal. And I don't think that I hope that that doesn't go away. My belief is that we'll always have a balance. I think that community will definitely continue to be more URL, but I I don't know that it will take over IRL, but it will just, I think what we're going to see is more ways that communities can come together digitally, but not necessarily replace the in-person, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that makes a bunch of sense. And having it almost be more of like the starting point, it sounds like, especially with this example of the book club, like, because you can reach, let's say, the girl who hasn't come out to her family, but maybe she lives in like Iowa and couldn't possibly go to an LA picnic because she doesn't live near LA. And so it's like reaching those people too. I think the accessibility thing is really exciting about URL, just because whether it's like from TikTok or Insta or whatever, like
1: you can kind of reach the corners that typically don't get the IRL experience. Totally agree. And I think, yeah, I think that'll be really interesting to continue to see, but I don't necessarily think it'll replace IRL or at least I hope. We'll find out. (laughs) We'll see. Only time will tell.
0: Well, that's a perfect segue into like what you're doing now. I mean, You are head of community at Geneva, which is a wonderful, wonderful platform. Can you tell everyone a little bit more about what you guys do at Geneva and why after I think it's almost eight years, I wanna say you were at Glossier, intern and then building community, which is a very amazing long time, you decided to jump to Geneva. So tell me more about it.
1: Yeah, okay. So I'll give a quick TLDR on Geneva for anyone who hasn't heard of it. So we are a essentially a messaging app built for communities. So communities, clubs, social groups you know, you can think of us like a more robust, safer Facebook groups or kind of more accessible, a little bit more fresher version. And we are building for kind of every kind of social group to community. So we have sororities and K-pop fan clubs and, you know, fans of The Bachelor and book clubs. And we also have, you know, brand ambassador programs and activist groups, the full kind of range. Wellness communities, mental health communities, all that good stuff. And essentially the way that Geneva works is that our kind of mission is to give communities all of the ways to connect digitally that you might be stitching together online right now or that you would have in person but you don't have online. So you have chat spaces, you have post spaces, chat for casual, post for important announcements and things. You have audio spaces, you have video spaces, you have broadcast spaces, you have an event calendar, all of these things that a lot of the times communities are kind of stitching together from a Slack to a Zoom to a Google calendar to an email kind of stuff in one app in one kind of central home. I joined the team at Geneva. So the the team started building the app 2019 and we kind of officially launched just about a year ago, May, 2021. I joined in September 2020 and I joined because I'd gotten connected to the team when they first started building in 2019. And I was like, this is awesome. Someone who built a community on Slack, not out of desire, but out of necessity. I was like, this is really cool and feels up my alley. I don't know why this doesn't exist already. And I was just super excited about the platform. And I think on a personal level, I'd been, you know, at my Prior job for so long, and I loved it, and I the most incredible experience. And I knew that I wanted to kind of dig into something new, and I I also knew that I strongly believed that the community in tech space was like just on kind of on the precipice of becoming really big, and and now it is. Um, It is. (laughs) You were right. (laughs) I I think I was right. Somebody's paying me for that. You were right. Yeah. I was like, I knew that I wanted to get into tech and do community in and tech. And, and to be totally honest, and I'm not even saying this is like a pat on the back or anything like that, but I also felt like I'd had the best experience building community at a physical product brand that I possibly could while I was at Glossier. I felt so lucky to have built community there at that time. I was like... I whatever my next thing is, I don't think I can do another physical product brand because I didn't want to do a different version of the same thing. I wanted to do something different. And Geneva was the, it had been in my world for a couple months. And I was like, I like, I mean, personally invested in the future of this app. I'm going to go help them build it. I want to go be a part of this. And so I hopped over in September 2020. And it's been so, so fun and such a whirlwind. And it's been really exciting. I mean, we have, creators, we have podcasters, brands like Majori and Rare Beauty and sororities and queer book clubs, just an incredible like range of communities. And I think what's been really, really cool for me is I, before I had, you know, this one incredible community that I got to mold and kind of help grow and shape. And now I get to kind of like support and watch hundreds of incredible different communities and it's really, really fun. And I truly believe that I feel like I'm the mean girls mom of Geneva because I, I truly believe that like the communities that are building with us are building the future of what community looks like. Like, I think that SAFLIT is the future and the wellness communities and the mental health communities that we have, I, I think that they're so incredible. And the leaders of those communities are building the future, really.
0: It's so meta, too. It's so funny hearing you talk about, like, the community leader managing and helping build communities. It's, like, the head of finance working for a finance app. Like, it's really funny. Yeah. Like, you are, like, yeah. the it person at Geneva because you your whole thing is building communities. And I'm sure that must be so rewarding, you know, to be able to help them and also be, like, a mentor and advisor because, like you obviously work for the company, but you also have done it before and they're all trying to do exactly what you're doing. There's something very meta about that. Like it's you're building the community for Geneva with, and they're building their community for their thing.
1: Yeah, it's definitely quite meta. And it's also, I mean, I think the thing that's really interesting for me is that now I get to see all of these people who are have such incredible ideas and are building community in such cool ways that I never would have before. And I also get to be the like, you know, the connector, the community kind of connector between people where I'm like, okay, you're trying to do this thing. I want you to meet this person who's been doing something really similar, really well. So that is really, really fun. I feel like I'm getting to constantly learn from, especially, I mean, we have a lot of, we have all kinds of communities, all age groups and demographics on Geneva, but we our niche definitely tends to lean towards women-led, women-facilitated, like, Gen Z millennial communities. And so, especially for some of, like, you know, in their early 20s communities where they're, like, they're just trying shit. It's, like, kind of, how I guess now how I was back in the day. They're just trying stuff and, like, they're, like, I've never seen anyone do this before and we're going to give it a go. And I am, like, it's really, really
0: fun. Oh, I love that. You're, like, you go, girl. I don't that, if that's going to work, but you just try it. You go, girl. I love it. So one question, and this is something I've been kind of struggling with, so selfishly I'm going to ask it. You know, there's lots of amazing communities, and for the most part, we touched on Web3, a lot of those actually cost money, kind of, you have to buy an NFT or whatever to be part of it, which is a whole other conversation, but a lot of communities are actually free to be a part of. I'm not talking about like the country clubs. I'm not talking about like these exclusive NFT communities. I'm talking about like cool organizations or like volunteering or Facebook groups or whatever the thing is. I'm sure a lot of Geneva groups, if you like a podcast, joining the podcast group. How do you think about your time and time management in terms of free joining communities that you're giving your time to for free? I think that's something that I've personally struggled with is... Like, for example, there was a community I was excited about and seemed like cool people were involved. But they wanted more of a time commitment from me than I was kind of willing to give. And I was like, I'm doing this for free. And I'm also so busy with so many other things. But there's these other communities that I want to do. And I was just struggling with like, which communities to pick, how many to be a part of, and like all that kind of stuff. So how do you think about that? I feel like that's probably something that you're seeing a lot with these communities is just like, As a person, how do you think about which communities to participate in and like time management when there are infinitely,
1: there's so many communities to to choose from. You know what I mean? Totally. What did they, if I can ask, not getting too specific, what did they want you to do? (laughs) Yeah, so it was a
0: community that was all about, it was like a bunch of people that are really passionate about creating social impact. And so it's like kind of like a, kind of like a leadership impact org. And one of these, like you apply to get in but you don't have to pay anything. You just, it's it's like an application thing. But then when you're in it, they want you to, you know, attend all these meetings, like monthly meetings and do a bunch of projects. And and it's sort of like, it's hard when it's fully, you're giving your time for free and maybe the expectations aren't matching up. So that was kind of the situation. And I was, I ended up actually removing myself. I said, you guys are great, but this actually isn't a fit. But it was a bummer because I was like, Ah, this is a community I kind of wish I'd worked out more, but the expectations weren't lining up. And it's really hard for me at this stage to do things fully for free. And I don't know what the value add is going to be. Like, unless I'm meeting cool people like you, that's why I do the podcast. I get paid for my job. There's value add for the
1: other things I do. How do you think about that? It can be really tricky. Yeah, I think it's so interesting. I mean, I feel like we could talk. Should we extend it for 45 minutes? And no, I'm just kidding. I feel like we I could know. talk for a <laughs> long so time. You and I about, oh, I don't know. I don't want to use this word because I obviously, I work in communities. So I recognize the hypocrisy of this. But I think that, first of all, community is a word that at this point, I think means everything and nothing at the same time, right? If we're being honest. Yeah. What is the definition of a community? Like, you know, everything's a community nowadays. And I'm like, oh, okay. But it's hard to hear that, honestly, because I don't believe that communities should require things that are structured of their people. Personally, I believe that at their foundational level, the value of communities is mutual because when you create a community, you are bringing together like-minded people who can all serve each other just by showing up, having conversations in whatever way makes the most sense for them. And what's really interesting about building a community regardless is that it's never finite and it's never defined and finished because your members change, your members change, stages of life change. Like I've led communities where I've seen people go from single and ready to mingle to married with children, you know, all in the same. And it's that changes, those things change the dynamic of your community. And so I believe that communities at the end of the day are strongest when they are serving to serve their people because communities and people are like this, right? It's like communities serve their people. And so the people serve the community. But if you structure how the people serve the community, then it's really, really hard because then you, you have to really structure what the people get back. And as soon as you structure what people get back from the community, it's a little bit commoditized, right? Where it's like, well, you can get back like merch or you can get back money, right? And I think that that kind of dilutes the value really of the space that you've created. And I believe that the strongest communities are ones where the people... Are showing up a ton, they're engaged, they're involved, but they're doing it because this is their space, right? This is what feels like their people in their space. And I I think that once you have done that and once you've created a space that does that, I think it totally makes sense that you say, okay, well, if you want to get access to this special thing, you know buyer or bookmark or, or whatever the case may be. That makes sense, especially because I think being a community leader is not easy, as you said earlier, and it takes time and energy and care. And so you should be able to get some kind of reward or compensation for that when you're leading a community or building a community. But I do believe that you have to invest in building it first, you know, and, and building something that's valuable for people. Because if you haven't spent the time doing that first and foremost before you can expect people to do things for you, then you're going to have a really hard time having a community that's sustainable and that ultimately provides value for people.
0: I love your definition. It's this fluidity of like not being so structured with you need to give me this and I'm going to give you that. It feels so transactional. Like I'm in a, I'm like, I've signed a contract. It feels like you feel like stuck. And I think this kind of goes back to your earliest point about allowing people to show up as their fullest self. And a lot of the times that happens with like engage as Like these are all the things available to you and come one hour a month, come 10 hours a week. Like go to this event, go to no events, you know, share your recs, don't share recs. It's like creating the spaces for them to be able to engage, but allowing them to kind of pick and choose and like being fluid about it. And I think that's also where the disconnect really was is I'm so used, I have a similar philosophy to you with community. And so I think entering a community that was so structured, had so much expectation and wanted me to give before I received you know, I like my mindset's like, you should give to me first and prove
1: to me why I give you my time. Like it's backwards. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, so this is like a little bit tangential, but it'll take us back to the point that you're making, which is like, I was a really, really shy kid. I was like super painfully shy. And I think I have this hunch. I had this conversation with someone else who does community stuff. And she was like, I was painfully shy too as a kid. That's so funny. And you would think it's kind of weird because when you're like the community person, you have to talk to people all the time. Um, and I think that that actually gives you a lot of empathy as a community person. So it allows you to understand how people show up and, and why they might show up in certain ways that aren't super engaged, quote unquote. And what I, worries me about the idea of building a community where you have to show up in such structured ways is that those ways don't work for everybody. And, I feel like we're in a space, especially right now, where like the loudest voices really rise to the top. And I think that's so unfortunate. And I think that communities that are really healthy don't ask someone who can't show up in the way that they want to do it anyways. They meet that person where they are. So I think rather than saying, this is what it means to be a good member of this community, you say, okay, these are the kinds of members that we have. This is how this, these people are kind of over here. These people are over here and these are super engaged. They're what does the journey look like for someone who maybe they're joining, opening the community, joining every day, but they're not really talking or they're not really engaging. Let's better understand why. Are they shy? Are they, they, maybe they have a lot going on in their lives. People are busy. Right. And then when you start to understand and have that level of empathy for maybe that person is like, I really want to, I'm just like, have a little bit of social anxiety, (laughs) you know, like, then you can adjust and you have to adjust the community. The community has to serve your people. And so it has to adjust to serve as many people as it can so that they can show up again as their fullest selves. And so I think it's really hard to ask people to show up in a certain way before you know where they are most comfortable and where, how they can, you know, as an individual serve the community best and thus get the best out of it.
0: I love the way you're thinking about it. And I think, even like, if we're just gonna be super literal about this, like, if someone that's listening is creating a community, like, draw out those like three or four paths of like, this person is like, you know, reading everything and like loves to soak up the knowledge, but doesn't feel comfortable engaging. This one has a thought on every single thing you post. They are the super engager. They are the like, I'll hop on a call with you. Like, and literally give them like a name and a type and, I think that'll help people break out of this like structured one way or the highway in my community, and that's it kind of mindset that can be very, very toxic. Awesome. Well, this has been so fun, and I I really feel like you are just such a wealth of knowledge. And I'm like trying to just get as many gems as I can. The, the question we do ask all our guests is: This show is called Dear Twenty Something. Most of our listeners are a community of twenty somethings, and so we ask if there's one piece of advice that you would give. It doesn't have to be community related, but one piece of advice you would give to To all 20-somethings, what what is that one piece of advice?
1: I think my one piece of advice would be, I mean, I give this advice to everyone all the time, but I would say, go with your gut. I always tell people (laughs) that going with my gut is my hard skill because I think it's, I have a personal vendetta against the concept of hard and soft skills. And I think that the things that are quote unquote, soft skills are actually extremely difficult. And a lot of people cannot do them well. Communication, listening, right? Like easy things or else would be in a very different world. So I take issue with the idea that that's a soft skill. But I always tell people going with my gut is my hard skill. And I think that for young in their 20s, especially women, going with your gut is something that can, we tend to silence that, especially I think in professional settings, because we think, oh, no, I have to go with the thing that other people are saying or other people are telling me to do or what have you. But I believe that for the most part, (laughs) I can't say all the time, but for the most part, when we go with our gut, we're usually relatively right. But if we're not right, it's fine. Because you have the opportunity to learn. And I think if you go with your gut and you fail, it's a much better failure than doing something that you think someone else tells you to do or you know, someone else might want you to do in failing where you're like, well, I didn't really learn anything because I didn't really believe in that anyways. But if you go with your gut and you fail, you're learning like, okay, I believed in that. Where did I go wrong? And like, did I go wrong? Or did it just not work this time? So I really believe that when you're young, going with your gut and also having a sense of vision, even for like my team, the thing I say all the time is I want people to have their own sense of vision for their work, for the stuff that they put out into the world, for their job. I think that sometimes, especially at startups, there's this idea that vision is kind of gate kept to the founder or leadership team. And I think where the magic happens is when everyone has their own sense of vision for the stuff that they do every day. And so I would say like going with your gut and really having vision and then like pursuing that, even if that's just in your day-to-day job, doesn't have to be like starting your own business or anything. I think, I don't know, I think can take you a long way. I love that.
0: Yeah, that's so good. Would you, do you have like, maybe a piece of your vision or maybe, I don't know, a trick to defining that vision that you can share with the listeners. Cause I think that when people say that it can be so hard to not know where to start. So do you have any thoughts?
1: You know, it's really, it's difficult to say. I think there's probably a couple of things in terms of where to start. One is like be super observant, super, super observant. Like everything is a learning opportunity, honestly. And it's not just about like, oh, numbers and really kind of, you know, normal job stuff, but just like observing how people show up in environments, how people show up at work, whatever. I think being observant will help you define that. And then this is super, I don't know, woo-woo, but I think journaling is the best thing.
0: That's not woo-woo at all. (laughs) That's like scientifically proven to be like a great thing. That's true.
1: You're so right. You are so right, Erica.
0: very factual. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I think that like, I think everyone has, it. well, actually what I believe, Emily, my old boss told me this, like there are no geniuses, but everyone has genius moments. And when you have genius moments, you should write them down because you're, I think of it as like being in flow. And so when you have your genius moments, you'll know when they are because you just feel like everything is flowing for you and you have all these ideas and thoughts. Like write it all down. And then you have this kind of repository of like all the ways that your brain is like working. And I think that those are really good things. And if you're, someone who starts to journal, then you, I think it also becomes easier to start to notice when you're like really in flow and you're having like your quote unquote genius moment.
0: I love that. Okay, everyone is going to open up a journal tonight and make a, <laughs> a like a little page that says genius moments and carry with them. I think it's so true. I have like a notebook that I, and I, mean, I wouldn't call them genius, my own genius moments, but little things, ideas and things I scroll down and I think yes, it's call them your genius moments. Call them your genius moments. They're my genius moments. But no, I, I think that's such a great point. And I think, you know, maybe it's reevaluating that every month or two months or three months. And that can, start to kind of show you what, where you want to be going. Well, thank you so much for being on. Can you let everyone know where they can find you on social, where they can find Geneva and also download Geneva and all the things? Yes. Okay.
1: So I'll get me out of the way. I am on Instagram, Kim Johnson dot underscore. I have a common name, you guys. So, you know, work with me on Twitter. I'm hi underscore Kim Johnson. Yeah. And then Geneva hi, is,
0: as an H I
1: underscore mm-hmm. hi.
0: Okay. Waving hi. Yeah.
1: But Kim Johnson, you know, easy to spell, you know, simple. And then Geneva is at Geneva everywhere. Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, et cetera. And Geneva.com. I'm Kim at Geneva.com. I'm always down to chat. If you want to build a community or start a home on Geneva, send me a note, hit me up. And Geneva is available on everything. iOS, Android, desktop, web, you name it. Well, thank you so much. I have a a bomb to drop on
0: you just to end this interview. I am on Geneva.
1: Yes.
0: <gasps> yeah, I, not not for Dear 20-something, but I've been a part of a couple communities. I'm going to give it my stamp of approval. Big fan, big fan. I think we need easier community resources and tools.
1: So, well, thank you so much, Kim, for coming on. This has been so fun for me. Thank you so much, Erica. This has been a really fun conversation. I'm so so honored to have been here. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Dear 20-something. If you enjoyed it, you can give us a follow over at Dear 20-something on Instagram or subscribe here or anywhere you get podcasts.